Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm your host, Randy Wartelski, and I thank you so much for joining us right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. The tri-state area saw snow here yesterday, many schools calling for a delayed opening due to traffic conditions. And while we can't complain too much about the temperatures, it has been cold the last few days here in the Northeast, and all anyone can think about is vacation. Well, it's mid-January, which for many of us is synonymous with midwinter break, colloquially known as yeshiva break. And whether you're traveling down south or overseas or just enjoying a staycation at home, we've got some tips about how best to spend your time. But if you're not off of work now or don't have kids forcing you to use up those vacation days at this time, don't turn us off just yet. We will look ahead as well to Pesach and beyond. Donnie Klein of yeah, that's kosher.com joins us here today to give us all of that plus the best kosher for Pesach programs and more. Donnie is the brains behind the website, yeah, that's kosher.com. And according to their website, yeah, that's kosher was designed to give the kosher world travelers some extra advice and tips during their travels. Donnie, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks for having me. So why did you decide to start this website? How does it compare to other websites that also offer information, the kind of information that you offer? Sure. So about four and a half years ago in the summer of 2008, my wife and I, um, we decided to take a two-week vacation to Scandinavia. And we hit five different countries over the course of those two weeks. And in preparation of that trip, we had to do a lot of research online, where we're going to find kosher food, how much food we needed to bring with us, where are we going to spend Shabbat, you know, just, we just needed to prepare ourselves for all the, the Jewish needs that we needed. And we did a lot of that research, brought it with us. We had a small duffel bag of food that, you know, we knew we had a refrigerator here, or a freezer there, and we had to improvise in different places. But a lot of the information that we found around the web was not accurate, not helpful, completely incorrect, and lacking nuance. So when I came back, I realized that there wasn't a voice giving over this information. There might have been listings. There might have been places that, um, you know, said the restaurant is here and gave me an address. And maybe it gave me hours of operation, uh, if that. Or it tells, me, it tells me where a shul is. But it doesn't tell me anything else other than that basic address. And no, having more information beyond that from somebody who's been there, somebody who lives there, somebody who is knowledgeable in, in that region, um, I felt was sorely lacking around the web. So I created, yeah, that's kosher.com. You know, it's funny because years ago, I also took a, a trip. Um, I went to Amsterdam and to Prague. And at that time, we used a, like a book, you know, mm-hmm. like a kosher travel guide. And um, I Xeroxed a couple of pages from the book, so I shouldn't have to schlep the whole book with me all, you know, all over. And yeah, we would like find an address and we'd get to that place and it would be like boarded up. This restaurant's not here anymore. Um, you know, the shuls were, were pretty much, were pretty accurate, but the, um, the eateries were, you know, hit or miss. Right. So not only were the eateries hit or miss, but we found with the shuls, the shuls weren't really going anywhere because they've been there for a long time. They're right. not boarding up shop in the way that restaurants come and go. But we found that in places like Copenhagen, 
where we wanted to, you know, come in the middle of the day and actually take a tour of the shul because it, it was an older shul. We wanted to see it. It was a historic place. Nobody was there. We couldn't walk in. We had no insight. And we were told um, that if we wanted to come in, chances are we probably wouldn't have even gotten in because they didn't know who we were. And right. they, they're, they're very wary of non-locals that they just don't know. And um, we found that to be the case in this pl- in Stockholm where we spent where we spent Shabbat, and uh, we had arranged in advance with the Chabad rabbi there. Uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have Friday night meal with you. We're gonna daven in your shul. We showed up. First of all, it was impossible to find because it's not marked mm-hmm. uh, on purpose because there is plenty of anti-Semitism in in Sweden. And eventually, when we did find it, they didn't know who we were at the door, and they didn't want to let us in. So we had to convince them. It's something we weren't prepared for. It's something we've never had to deal with in the United States or and Israel. And eventually, did you get in touch with the person that you had spoken with that you had arranged it all with? It was the rabbi, uh, who's not really manning the door. Right. So uh, eventually, we got in, discussed it with him, and needless to say, it was a very interesting you know, Friday night meal with him and some of his congregants who were not very fond of Americans. And this was the time when, you know, Hillary Clinton was running against Barack Obama for the the nomination and everything that we heard was just, you know, railing on the U.S. at this meal from other fellow Jews in Stockholm. Sounds like a very interesting experience. It was a very interesting experience. Uh, But it was just having this experience both over that Shabbat and throughout this whole trip and realizing that the nuance needs to be there. And that's where the advice comes in. And that's why the style of, yeah, that's kosher is I would say a blog style um, where we're giving advice first person. We're saying we were there. This is what we experienced. Now your experience might differ, but that's okay. You might want to come back and then write about your experience and, and you know, we can publish that too. Right. So you must have a lot of mileage. Uh, not as much. You, you travel and then you write about it. Not, I mean, not as much as you'd think. I, I, uh, I try to travel when I can. Um, past few years, it's been, uh, a little bit more difficult um, because I have a two-year-old now, and we've we've made it work, and we've been traveling, and I get get to travel a little bit for business. Um, but I make it a point to make sure that we get a good, you know, winter vacation in, a good summer vacation in, and then little tiny little side trips in between. So one of the things that you focus on a lot on your site is the kosher restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I happened to have noticed when I browsed your site was: is it true today is the last day that we can eat at Prime Grill in its current location? That is correct. So tonight is the last night that you can eat at Prime Grill uh, at its current location. They um, are closing up shop according to what I've been reading. They're, the 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 owners of the property didn't want to renew their lease, and they are using it as an opportunity to move to a larger, fancier location uh, we just wrote about it and included an image of their mock-up. So if you check out the site, you'll you'll see it. Uh, there's no exact date. I've been in touch with them. There's no exact date of when they're going to open. We were told uh, March. We were told before the summer. So up in the air. It's up in the air. Uh, figure in the next few months. Um, however, the the Prime Grill family of restaurants has other places. They they recently opened the Prime at the Bentley, which is the Bentley Hotel on the on the east side. Uh, serving similar fare to their Prime Grill restaurant, but a totally different type of ambiance. You're much higher up. You have a good view. Uh, Solo, Prime KO, those are all in 
They have four in the restaurants family. in the family, yeah. So you shouldn't be so upset if you're missing out on that one and you have to wait until March or April to right, get there. Right, right. Based on the, on, on the sketch of what this place is going to look like, it, it looks really, really nice. What else is up and coming in the kosher restaurant scene mm-hmm. in New York City? Do you have any uh, insight as to uh, what we could see next? There is a new restaurant that's opening up. Um, you know what? I forget that. It's a not a, an English name, so it doesn't roll um, off of my tongue, and I cannot... What I, kind of fare? Um, meat, <laughs> dairy? Flachex. It's definitely meat. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's on the east side. Okay, we'll come back Midtown. to it. We'll, we'll come back to it. I'll, 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 it. I'll find it in my emails. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, it's midwinter break. Yeah. Yeshiva break. Um, many people... Like myself, uh, I happen to not be going away myself, but I know a lot of people who are going away, and I would be, I would be doing this too if it were me. You spend the time, you know, three months ahead of time, getting that ticket, uh, running on Spirit Air to try to get the best, uh, you know, fare or JetBlue or whatever, you know, the nine dollar fare clubs or wherever you're going to Ho- go. Hopefully, JetBlue and not Spirit Air. Oh yeah, then you get. I'm a, I'm a big JetBlue fan, uh, not. Spirit. I have had too many bad experiences in Spirit and never again. Well, I flew Spirit Air once, and I must say, my two-year-old was literally hanging from the rafters. And it, it's amazing that they even like let us back on the plane after that because she was really causing a ruckus on the plane. Um, but uh, in any case, so you go and you make the, you make the plans and you get the dates of your travel, and then you land and you're like, now what? So what's the best way to plan your vacation? So I think that, I mean, families that want to really get the best bang out of their buck, get the most out of the time that they're spending away from home should plan ahead. That's that's what I do. Maybe, um, you know, I'm a little OCD like that, that I need to make sure I at least have ideas and addresses and places plugged into my phone before I go so that I know what my options are. And depending on the day, depending on how my kids, kid in my case or in, in, in your case, kids are acting you can decide do we want to go to the zoo do we want to go to the beach do we want to do an indoor activity it's funny because when you know you're going to a place where there is kosher food you know, say you're going to miami or mm-hmm. you're going to boca you know there's kosher food you know there's a lot of attractions i you know kind of feel like why waste the time planning it beforehand if when you get there you can just look up online and and make some phone calls and you can go so, so- but it does add a lot of stress i'm yeah. Yeah, I think that if you know yourself, I think everybody has to kind of judge it on their own. If you know yourself and you're capable of doing that on the fly, uh great. Uh for me, I can do that with one kid. I don't know if I had a second how that would impact right. my my planning ability and you know, call the for right. people with 3 plus kids how they're able to and, make and the those truth plans. is yeah. Now that you're saying that, I mean, there are a lot of kids who don't deal well but, you know, flying like that, mm-hmm. um, there are some kids who sort of need to know what, what they're doing every day, what the plan is for that day. Um, and then if there's like a change in the plan, they need to know that. So it would be, I guess, good to plan ahead. Especially if your kids are still in the napping stage. Right. So you need to know that between know. whether it's two. Got to plan you know, around the nap, I know. 12 and two. You know, with my son, it's either 12 and two, one and three. Just make sure that you're either napping or that's your driving time so he gets to sleep in the car. Just know when you're going to get that nap in. Otherwise, you know, good luck at night. Right. So what can we find by going to yeahthatscosher.com? So this morning we posted a um, an article on where to, you know, where to find things to do or what things to do in three locations. And I chose these three locations based on 
where I believe the trends are of where the Jewish community goes during Yeshiva week. Right. Uh, Miami, people who stay in New York and some people who actually go to New York, and Israel. And obviously there are, pl- there are plenty of people who don't go to these three locations. There's plenty of people who go skiing in Colorado or Utah, fly out to California or, or the Caribbean. For for the for for these purposes, I stuck to these three locations. So, and this is useful information, even if you're not traveling there now, you might want to travel there yeah, for February. You know, correct or beyond. Co- correct. So the the Miami information is really uh, month agnostic because they're relatively warm for most of the year. Um, so for Miami, I would say the outdoor activities that are great for kids um, are. The Miami Zoo. I don't know if that's the official name of it, but I was there about a year and a half ago, and my son was about, I don't know, about a year old, and he loved it. He it was just amazing, and it's huge. You can spend a good two plus hours there, maybe more. Um, it, it's a bit of a drive from the Miami Beach area, but if you're renting a car, it's definitely accessible via the highways. Uh, there are other things in that area, too, that you can explore that are not necessarily animal-related, but they've got, like, a train museum right next door uh, that, uh, personally, I'm a fan of. I, I love the, the, those types of vehicles, and um, I think kids love trains, and you can actually climb into them, and you can board these old-school trains. Yep. And I think kids really like that. Yep. Um, another thing is called uh, Jungle Island. That is much closer to uh, the Miami Beach area. Is uh, that what people call the monkey jungle, or is that something different than the monkey jungle? Um, I'm not sure if that's the monkey jungle. I, I think it might be. It might be the monkey jungle and the parrot jungle. I think right. that's. I believe that's the same place. Um, so that's a place I haven't been, but my uh, close friend who lives down in Miami recommended that okay. um, as one of the places, especially for kids. Right. All those types of animals. Um, but it's different. That's more of a jungle environment. Right. Not the same as a zoo. Um and obviously, the zoo is entirely outdoor. So if it's raining, don't go to the zoo. Uh, Jungle Island, I'm not entirely sure. I think it might be a mix, indoor-outdoor. Uh, the thing that's nice about I mean, the reason why I ask if it's the same thing as the monkey jungle is because I've been to what we called the monkey jungle, although I don't know. It could, mm-hmm. it could have been Jungle Island. It, it, you know what? It could be a different place. Name. I'm not sure. Yeah, we could look it up after the show and we could let you guys know. Um, but uh, what was so cool about the monkey jungle for my kids is that They've been to a zoo, you know, they've been to the aquarium, they've been to the zoo, but the jungle experience is so different from anything that they've, that they had ever been to, you know, to that point. So Cause it takes you to a climate that you've never, yeah. that the kids especially have never experienced. It was before. really cool. Yeah. And I think that, um, outside of those types of activities, if the weather is nice and your kids are old enough, do water activities. You're, you're by the ocean. You have an opportunity to do water activities that people in New York don't really do, um, even in the summer. Uh, now, obviously, that really depends on the age of the kids. If the kids right. are a little bit older, you know, closer to their, you know, closer to 10 and older, that's great. Um, and there's also an endless stretch of sea there. So yeah. if you're looking for a spot that's maybe a little bit more isolated yeah. so that you can just be with the, you know, with your immediate family and not be with sort of other people around, you can find spots like that. I think that the the locations along the beach in the Miami area that are closer to the residential apartments that are further away from the hotels. So I would say stay away from, you know, the 40s 
and south of that. Right. Uh, and as you move north, it's mainly residential with some, you know, some hotels dotted here and there. Um, then you'll be more successful in finding those secluded spots on the beach. So it's so interesting because as a kid, I had actually been to Miami quite a few times. Uh, we have a lot of family in Miami and... We, we had visited Miami so many times and it was the only place aside from Disney World that I had ever been to in Florida. <laughs> and two years ago, we went to um, an area near Boca and we didn't even go to Miami at all. And we spent all this time in like the Fort Lauderdale, Boca area and did all these attractions like around that area. And I'm like, wow, there's like a whole world out here outside of Miami that I never knew about. But even if you're planning to be based in Miami, it's not that far away. I mean, no. we went to this place called um, the Lions Safari, I believe it was called. It was incredible. I mean, we were driving in our little rented minivan and seeing like giraffes like come over to the car. It was amazing. It was really amazing. If if the weather's if the weather's nice and you have the car and you have a whole day, drive out to the Everglades. You don't need, you know, it, it's not that far that you can't make it there, right. spend the day, explore, right. do. Uh, it was on our list. We didn't make it there, but it was on right. our list. You know, I, I haven't been there, but I know that it, it's accessible for a one-day trip there and back. Right. If you have little kids, it might be tough because they might get cranky and um, it's a little bit of a drive, but it's definitely accessible from, from the eastern part of Florida. Um, yeah, one of the other big attractions which you would think was totally just too regular for little kids. Um, this was, again, in the Boca area, was this place called Sugar Sand Park. And, you know, initially I thought, oh, it's just like a playground. But it was just different. It was just a different playground. And there's something just so nice in the middle of January to be in an ice climate where you can just go to the playground. You know, and it was so different than anything they had, they had ever seen. And I think that when you're traveling with kids, I know that um, I was just in Israel uh, over the past few weeks, um, over New Year's, and we were with my son, and we didn't have many playgrounds to have him, you know, frolic in and enjoy. And towards the end of our trip, we came across one, and it was empty. And when he saw it, he just went running towards it. So you it. were there before all this crazy snow rain business. I, I, left, <laughs> I left the day it happened. So when I landed in New York, I found out about the flooding in Tel Aviv and the snow in Jerusalem. Yeah. And it was, uh, we actually got really lucky. We had, of the 14 days we were there, we had 10 days, 11 days of the most beautiful, unseasonably warm wow. weather I've ever experienced uh, in Israel. And I've spent significant amount of time there. Uh, meaning, yeah, to be able to play in the playground in January. That's pretty yeah, cool. Well, I mean, that was actually in a cold place. But when we were in Jerusalem, I did not need a winter coat. I almost didn't even need my windbreaker. Wow. I just went out with a shirt and maybe a sweater, and I was comfortable. It was 60-plus degrees. Yeah. And Tel Aviv, we actually went into the ocean. It was warm, cool. warm enough to go into so the So this water. is a good segue. Yeah. Let's talk about Israel. Sure. So, uh, you know, say people have been there, like, multiple times, you know, been to the same places every time they go. What's what's there to do there that maybe people haven't done before? So it depends. I guess if you haven't been there in a few years, uh, there are a few new things. And I don't know if this is necessarily kid friendly. It's okay. just this is just what's new. And, and Well, I imagine that um, many of our listeners might be going to Israel now to visit a child who's there for the year. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're bringing older children. Maybe they're going by themselves 
you know, to visit their kids. So this well, could be something for older kids too. Or like me, they're taking advantage of the three hundred and fifty dollar. Oh no, tickets. you did not get I the three hundred and fifty dollar tickets. I did, I did, and I, I I upgraded one way. So one, so on our way there, we upgraded to the direct flight, and on our way back, we had a stopover. Wow. But um, I mean, we were only we were in Israel a year and a half ago. When um, when my son was six months old, and then we didn't ne- we never thought that we'd be going back a year and a half later. Right. Uh, but I couldn't turn that down. No way. So one of the things that when I was there last year, uh, two things that I had never seen before, and the last time I was in Israel was five years prior, and things that just just came out of the ground and did not exist. Yeah. Um, both in Jerusalem. One is the uh, the Jerusalem light rail. It's not in a particular attraction. It's just that it changed the landscape of the city where you now have a, you know, slow moving subway, so to speak, above ground. Like it's not a subway, but it's a, it's just it's a beautiful light rail system that can take you from, I believe it's Har Herzl on one end all the way up to the northern parts of Jerusalem. And it goes through town, right. you know, Ben Yehuda, Yafo past everything and did you find that people are taking advantage of the light rail uh, yeah everybody was using it um it was just something that when i went to yeshiva for the year whatever 10 plus years ago it didn't exist it was bustling with taxis and buses right. so it was a shock for me to go see it I, it was cool um and there's a brand new bridge near the tachanat Merkazit, the the bus station at the entrance of the city just for that um, just for that train. So that was one new thing that it's just something to see. It's there not... are some people who could ride the train all day. Some people like that. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the length of the entire train is maybe an hour. So you're, there's only one line right now. They're, they're planning more in the future. Uh, the other thing is uh, Mamila, the Mamila Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was something that is beautiful um, that basically connects the modern parts of Jerusalem to the entrance of the old city. And you're walking through probably the most beautiful outdoor mall I've ever seen, mm-hmm. especially at night. You walk through at night, it's lit up with these tiny little lights. It's beautiful. It's bustling. They've got American stores and Israeli stores and tons of kosher restaurants, which I've blogged about last year. Um, and really, it's just, it's just an absolutely beautiful place to go, maybe after the kids go to sleep. Um and if, uh, if you're lucky enough to get a babysitter, which you can do because there are babysitting services uh, that I will be blogging about shortly uh, in Israel that you can basically take advantage of uh, when traveling there. That's one awesome. place I'd recommend going without the kids. And and know. what I love about these two places that you just mentioned is that these are not places that, I mean, I guess you have to pay a fare to get on the light rail, but these are not places that necessarily are costing you money and they are experiences that would add a lot to your to your time there right i mean if you're a shopper then the then the mamila mall is a place where you may or may not spend money right um i definitely recommend going out to eat there's a, a, a ton of you know restaurants where you can choose from and some of them you can sit outdoors and basically have the most beautiful view of the old city walls wow. of yamin moshe the windmill just beautiful beautiful views of of uh, that part of jerusalem cool so we are uh, talking to Donnie Klein, founder of YeahThat'sKosher.com, and he's telling us some really cool and exciting places to visit, uh, whether we are on vacation or, Donnie, now let's talk about those of us who are staying home. 
what can we do to fill in the time? So for those of us staying here in New York or for those that are coming to visit New York um, during the winter, I think that for me, the most obvious thing is let's do some outdoor activities with the kids. Let's do something wintry. So, uh, you know, get into the car, drive for an hour or two to either West Jersey or Eastern Pennsylvania and try to, you know, hit the ski slopes or go snow tubing. Or if there's actually snow on the ground, go... How old do you have to be to go snow tubing? Three? Four? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm, I'm not the right person to answer that. Um, but... Your son's not quite there yet. I don't... Yeah, I think two might be a little young. <laughs> a little young. A little young, but you you don't need any skills to go snow tubing. Um, having said that, I've seen on numerous occasions little kids, three-year-olds, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds on the ski slopes yeah. in skis. Yeah. Uh, learning and also just on their own flying. Like they just know what they're doing. Uh, and One day I'm going to learn how to ski. I took a lesson once when I was like nine. It's never... It's never I learned how to go up sideways up a mountain. It's definitely easier to do when it's warmer out because you're probably wearing slightly less bulk in terms of your coats. Right. And it's not going to be as bone chilling you know, while you're, but now's a good time to ski probably because we just had a little bit of snow. So there's probably, I would, I I would check the, I would check the snow reports. There are, there's such a thing as like snow weather reports of the, the different ski areas. So the Poconos are very accessible from, from New York. You can, you know, leave in the morning, spend a good five, six hours out there and then come back and make it, make it back in time for, for dinner. Right. Um, there's, I mean, even in Jersey, in Western Jersey, will you be blogging some information about yeah, yeah, there's there's stuff up. I, I there's stuff up that uh, people can already access today, and um, so that's one. Uh, another thing. And if you're is, not a skier and you want to just um, sit by the lodge and drink your hot cocoa, you can do that too. You can do that too. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that for five six hours while while everybody else is outside, right. but uh, yes, there there is a lodge where you can you know sit indoors and you know I guess play on your iPad or whatnot. Uh, but if you're staying in the city, you can, you know, take the kids ice skating. There are so many places in the city to go ice skating in Manhattan, in Brooklyn, in Queens. Literally every borough has places to go ice skating. Uh, the one thing I did find actually is that the Prospect Park uh, ice skating rink is actually closed this winter. Wow. Uh, they're doing uh, some renovations. Looks like it's going to be really nice and it's going to reopen um, in the fall. Uh, but Manhattan alone has so many different options and each one of them you just you're surrounded you know with beautiful surroundings bryant park central park has two rinks rockefeller center chelsea piers there's one on the upper upper west side uh on the hudson river there's just so many places to go ice skating and kids love that and what's nice also is that wherever you are in new york city you are accessible to kosher food somewhere yeah easy to get to easy easy to hop on a subway Hop in a cab and get close to kosher food. Yeah. Um, okay, we are going to take a short break right now. Um, We're sitting here with Donnie Klein, who's going to tell us some more exciting adventures when we come back right here on something to talk about on the Nahum Siegel Network.
כדי לשמוח, לא צריך סיבה כדי לרקוד, הוא נתן לי את כל הכוח, לגרום לכם לרקוד, אז תזכרו את הלב, תתנתקו מהכל, תאמינו באחד כי הוא הכל יכול, הוא לקצב, אתכם להוביל, תרימו את הידיים כי הכל פעם מתחיל, תרימו את הידיים, Welcome back to something to talk about. We are sitting here with Donny Klein, founder of yeahthatskosher.com. That's Y-E-A-H, that's kosher.com. And we're talking about traveling or staying home and what is there to do around, where should I eat, where should I go, what should I do. Donny, by the way, has an MBA in marketing and digital marketing from the Baruch Zicklin School of Business. He currently works as a social media marketing strategist and is as I said earlier, is the brains behind, yeah, that's kosher.com. So, Donnie, we were talking about New York City and things to do around New York City, if, whether you're coming into the city or, uh, on vacation or whether you live here. Um, what is there to eat around town? So, New York has, uh, I think, 
either the most, uh, I haven't actually done the math, but New York is either the most or the second most to Jerusalem uh, kosher restaurants in the world. And there's always, you know, new restaurants popping up, some restaurants closing. So wherever you are, there's there's tons of places to go. Uh, there's a few new places that are um, that, that are popping up, things that are changing. Um, so I, while I can't necessarily recommend all these places, these are just places that are coming up that uh, you might want to keep your eye on. Uh, the place that I was referring to on uh, on the east side that's opening up is a place called uh, La Brochette. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm making the assumption and I'm going out on a limb that it's going to be French. French. I was thinking And um, it is going to be a meat place. Um, it's going to be on Lexington Avenue. Uh, and it's replacing the old Le Carnet Grill, which mm. also was a kosher place. Right. So it's in that location. Um, one of the places that's actually near my office, it's not a fancy place, um, uh, Pitopia, which... For the, it opened about a year plus ago, and th- till now they've been serving mainly just hummus and falafel. Pariv, uh, it was okay, but they've recently, as recently as like two weeks ago, changed their menu to include flesh. So now they have uh, shawarma, schnitzel, um, and other things, and I've actually tried it, and it's actually good. Uh, coming back from Israel, I was a little... In that Middle Eastern mood, yeah, um, and it's and it's actually good. And actually, if you want to try it, uh, there's a coupon that you can find on my website for uh, a five dollar shawarma um, throughout the month of January. Cool. Um, a couple other places, uh, Amsterdam Burger Company is a new place on the Upper West Side that I've yet to try, but every friend of mine who's tried it has just been raving about it. And I'm I'm a, I'm a burger guy, so I'm just I just need to find a way to get to the Upper West Side. I'm just never there. Next time I go to the Upper West Side, I have to go and try. And For sure. The pictures that I've been seeing and, and the reviews that I've been reading from my friends have been really, really good. And if you like burgers and, and uh, like interesting burgers and a lot, lot of different types of things on your burgers, this might be a, a really cool place to try. Uh, a place that opened last year um, to some fanfare down in Soho, Jezebel. Right. Uh, that's a place that I'm going to be trying in a few days Ooh. next week. So um, Anyone who goes there says it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I hear it's a very interesting experience, and it's it's different than what you would normally expect from right. most kosher places. Um, and another place in Midtown that's been a staple in the area for a long time, uh, Mr. Broadway. So uh, Sukkah's time, they actually did a whole like renovation. I haven't been to Mr. Broadway in years. So if you go back, you would not recognize it. You would not recognize it. Um, it's it's actually a place now where you walk in, you're like, you know, I actually don't feel embarrassed to bring my non-Jewish coworkers here for a, right. lunch, for a lunch meeting. Right. It's really nice. Uh, I, I go often and um, it's it's large. It can fit a large group of people. If we're going some of these places are kid friendly and some not so kid friendly. I mean, I think that for the most part, most places are kid-friendly. If you look at the menu... You have to have really well-behaved kids. Yeah, I think if you look at the menu and you look at the prices, that should be an indicator of whether it's kid-friendly or not. Right. I think that places like the Prime Grill... and That Je- should be your next Je- blog. It should be your next project. <laughs> you should take your child to all of these restaurants <laughs> and blog about where you think he fits in best. What, where does my son's personality work there you go. with the restaurant? Um, you know, I think that you know, if the place has a bar and the prices are relatively high compared to what you're used to seeing, chances are it's probably not a 
you know, right. a, a child-friendly place. Right. Uh, even without being there, I can probably say Jezebel is not a place where you're going to bring your kid. They have a. I know that they have a bar slash lounge downstairs, and then there's a eating area upstairs. It's not. That's a that's a night out experience. Right. That more you, special occasion. Correct. Type of correct place. Yeah. Um, what are some Jewish or regular travel apps that might help me when I'm planning my trip? Sure. So because of the work that I do, I happen to actually have friends who create apps. Uh, so there are some apps that I use because they're just great apps. And then there are some apps that my friends turn me on to because either they've used it or they created it themselves. Uh, two apps that uh, friends have created. Uh, one is just called Zmanim. And it just helps you figure out, you know, what the times are for all, um, you know, for, for Shkia, for right. Shema, for Mincha, for whatever. And you um, can search like by zip code or by I believe, country I think, or I location? Believe, I believe that it's tied to your GPS. I could be wrong. Oh, that's cool. So it just knows where you are. Um, I'm not 100% on that, but um, that's something worth looking into if you need that on the go. Uh, another is um, more of a general travel app, but I use this multiple times while in Israel, um, and it's called Denominations. Uh, and basically, it's a currency converter mm. type app, except you don't plug in any numbers. What it does is, if you're in Israel and you want to know um, how much 20 shekels is to dollars today, based on today's you know, currency uh, conversion... Um, it shows you all of the currency denominations based on Israeli currency. So it'll show you one shekel, uh, one shekel, two shekel, five shekel, um, 10 shekel, 20 shekel in the denominations that they actually come right. in Israeli currency. Right. And then it'll show you what the how much it's worth in American dollars today. So you actually know how much you're, you're spending. Correct. And that and it, it is amazing yeah. how much. Um, Let's say if you have an iPhone or a, or a smartphone device, mm-hmm. it's amazing how much that could improve your your trip. Completely, I was extremely reliant on my iPhone for uh, a lot of the information. I also stored a lot of information there, so I always had it with me. Um, but I used my my you know Google Maps wherever I went. Right. Um, I avoided Apple Maps, and that that would that would have been a disaster. Um, you just have to be careful about your like overseas plan. Because you could come home and get stuck with charges you didn't even realize you were using, you were racking up. Right. So um, actually a few weeks ago, um, before my trip, I spent a significant amount of time doing research on all of the, the, the myriad of options that one has when, um, when thinking about taking a phone to Israel, renting a phone, getting a SIM card. There are so many different options that um, I actually wrote a very long and detailed blog post about it that you can find on on the website. Um, what I ended up doing was um, I worked with uh, a particular um, provider here in the States that carries SIM cards for the three major Israeli carriers, uh, Pelophone, Cellcom, and Orange, and uh, basically got a SIM card that was specifically cut to the size of my iPhone. Wow. Uh, because it's the this iPhone has a different size SIM card than basically every other phone on the market. Um, and told them what plan I wanted. And it was basically like a prepaid type thing. But it's it's pay as you go. 
So I, I basically own the SIM card now, right. and I can use it again if I decide to go again. Uh, I know a lot of other people rent uh, cell phones. It's probably the most convenient thing to do. Right. It's the most expensive of the all the options, but right. not by that much. It's funny. This uh, SIM card experience that you're talking about was similar to – so my sister traveled to Ethiopia mm. uh, about a year ago. And um, she also ha- did SIM card something. And when she got to Ethiopia, I guess she had a BlackBerry then, and she got to Ethiopia, and it wasn't working. But she was able to BBM me on my BlackBerry at the time. So we were, like, BBMing each other, although she couldn't use any other data or her use voice. the phone for anything or use her voice. But I was able to call the the P- the, the phone. I don't know if it was Verizon or BlackBerry or whoever people hear. Probably BlackBerry. And they were able to like text her like a number that she needed to put in to activate the SIM card or however it worked. And it was like amazing. It was amazing because it was her phone and she was like in Ethiopia. And we were like in New York. It was just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I had to unlock my iPhone to put a SIM card in from another carrier because most American carriers don't want you to be using other carriers on right. their devices while you're still under contract. Right. So I had to unlock my device before I left to use this particular SIM card. And now, you know, I, when I can't come back to the States, I'm now using, you know, my American SIM card again. Right. And that's fine. But, you know, now the, the, uh, cell phone companies that rent the, the cell phones for travel are also renting iPads and they're mm-hmm. also renting... Um, they're renting something called... A, it's called a MiFi or... Uh, right. Which basically is a little... Like a hotspot. It's a hotspot, yeah. So... So you could be like yeah. rappelling in the desert yep. where there would be otherwise no cell service at all and you put your your hotspot on and, and there you go. So I, I was in that area uh, not a week and a half ago in Mitzbe Ramon, right. which is where everybody goes rappelling. Yeah. I didn't go rappelling because the weather was too bad. It was actually super windy and not you couldn't do that kind of stuff. Um, but the service in Israel is actually really good. So wherever you are, for the most part, you're going to get good service um, on your phone. Um, those those rental, co- those rental companies, when you're renting the, the data – like that, whether it's the iPad or the the MiFi hotspot devices, you're going to pay a premium for it because right. you're you're paying for data access. Um, it's definitely cheaper to go straight to the carriers. Right. But if you're not technically savvy, I don't recommend going that route. The one thing that I did find was very helpful for me when I traveled to Israel with a laptop because I'm not such a good um, not such a good iPhone typer. I could like only type with my pointer finger and I'm not such a good, so I brought along a laptop so I could send home emails and whatever. And I rented from one of these travel companies, um, the USB that you put into your laptop that allows you to like override the hotel charges to get on to the Wi-Fi. So instead of logging into the hotel, you're logging into your USB, right? So that that USB is the same as the, the same hot, idea. It's, it's the same as the hotspot thing. Yeah, it basically connects to one of the cellular towers. Yeah, it was fantastic. And you can use that wherever. But the thing about Israel that is so amazing is that it's so ancient and historic, but it's also super modern and sometimes more modern than here in the U.S. Right. That there's just Wi-Fi everywhere. Yeah, you can you know sit in Ben Yehuda outside. Take out your laptop or iPad. So and you're saying Wi-Fi don't sit in your hotel room where you're going to pay for it. Go outside. Go outside where it's going to be free. Uh, there's a good chunk of the city of Jerusalem that is just wireless, uh, and probably Tel Aviv too, because all of the startups, all the startup companies, are in um, 
are in Israel. And that's something that I didn't have the opportunity to do on this trip that I really wanted to do, and maybe next time without my son, um, is I wanted to do a tour of the Israeli startup scene. Is there such a thing? Yes. Wow. Um, you probably is it like Israel's answer to Silicon Valley, or I mean, they they call it the you know they call it the you know the Silicon Valley of the middle of the Middle East, or I'm sure there are other nicknames for it. But yeah, it's it's the second largest area of of startups outside of Silicon Valley. Although they must have to guard their secrets very carefully while you're traveling through their uh, startups. Well, well, I mean, they're they're showing they don't you, want you to steal their ideas. They're showing you public facing things. They're not right. showing you back end stuff. So now that we've migrated back to Israel, which sure. we were talking about New York City, somehow we got back to Israel, sure. um, stopovers. Hmm. So I have a friend who is traveling to Israel now, and he told me that by going nonstop, he's traveling on KLM, going nonstop, um, no, sorry, stopping over in Amsterdam um, for like half a day, he's saving $500 a ticket versus going direct. So that's that's ironic because a year and a half ago when I went to Israel with my six-month-old at the time, uh, we did the exact same itinerary. We stopped over in Amsterdam, had about nine or ten hours. Right. During the day, it was like the best time. We landed at 11 a.m. We had a evening flight. We had more than enough time to take our heavier luggage and car- uh, rather our carry-ons put them in a locker in the airport. It's a beautiful airport uh, in, in Amsterdam. Put them in a locker, hop on a train. We went first to the Jewish community, had lunch. We found the kosher restaurants. Oh, I, I found them beforehand. Right. And went straight to the kosher restaurants. Um, had to do... Had to f- right. See, when you only have nine hours, that you should really plan ahead of time. Right. So Very well. Yes. That you should plan ahead of time. Because any less than nine hours, I feel like I'm the type that would make me nervous to like go yeah. too far from the airport. Because I'd be nervous about getting back. Their train system is extremely fast, efficient, and you can get from the city into the airport in less than a half hour. It's just super fast. Um, you might have a little trouble figuring out what train to take because the language is different. And that's where I lost my time was right. just figuring out which train I needed to take. Um, but I actually blogged about this experience. So if you are going to Israel via Amsterdam, uh, whether on Delta, KLM, that that, um, Let's just remind the listeners they can find your blog at yeah that's kosher dot com. Okay, sorry. And I, I did blog about this uh, last year in um, I don't know if it was actually twenty eleven maybe at this point so it was more than a year ago. Uh, but we went to the kosher restaurants. We then took the um, above ground light rail into the downtown area. And while we would have loved to go to multiple museums, we just you know didn't feel like we needed to not needed to but we didn't feel like we had the time to really go explore all that much so we said we're going to hit one thing we're going to hit the Anne Frank house so we spent our time there got some time to walk around the city went to the central train station took a train straight back into this like literally into the heart of the airport it brings you right underneath the right. airport not like JFK where you're kind of like outside and you have to get back in or or like Newark literally underneath and you're inside the airport already wow um very doable. And and when you're paying for three tickets, I feel like you're almost getting, so you're saving $500 a ticket. Mm-hmm. So by saving $1,500, you're actually getting an extra day of vacation in another country. Yeah. So yeah. it's win-win. Yeah. And and the flight is shorter. Well, it's two two shorter flights two shorter than flights. one direct flight. Right. So it, it really depends Which on- Which with a six-month-old, 
is probably not a bad thing. With a six-month-old, it was very doable. Uh, with the with a two-year-old, you know, now we had a stopover in Zurich this time, it was a little bit more challenging. Although, not to say that a 12-hour direct flight back to New York would have been better. Right. Um, although, our flight situation was, you know, we flew Swiss to Zurich. That was great. Transfer in Zurich, we had about 70 minutes to transfer over. And that was awful. Uh, it was just an awful experience at that airport. And then flying home on American, also not a great experience. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I just, I don't have fond um, uh, things to say about the legacy uh, American carriers. American Delta. Delta's slightly better, but not even um, United U.S. Air. Just, I avo- American I avoid them. Airlines has a... I don't know, a deal, I guess. Co-chaired with LL. With LL. Yes. So if you're flying LL, you know, you get a, you're getting a lot of mileage. You can use those miles to fly American, you know, locally. Within- right. So I, I purchased this. This ticket was the, the $350 LL right. mistake fare. It was purchased th- via LL. You have to bring that up again? <laughs> Rubbing it in. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it was purchased through LL. Right. Um, so originally, I would have flown two legs on American and then... One leg on British Air and then the other leg on Swiss. Mm-hmm. I, I basically upgraded the you know London stopover because originally I was leaving uh, New York on December twenty fourth, landing in London on Christmas Day. Okay. The pro and I was, I was like, great, we have twelve, we have a twelve hour layover. I can check out all the kosher places. We get to walk around London. Awesome. I was super excited, and then I realized I did some research. The entire city of London closes down, yeah. shuts down. On Christmas Day, the, not right. even not even their subways. Their subways don't work, so wow. I would have been stuck at Heathrow Airport. Oh gosh, for twelve hours, it would have been horrendous. So I decided to upgrade that leg of the flight, and I'm glad I did. And and the experience on Elal was better than I had remembered in the past. Right, it's good. Although you know, stopovers are not for everybody. No, they're not. Um, you know, families who are traveling with mm-hmm. a lot of kids. If you get sort of messed up in your stopover, that could potentially be a very atrocious experience. Yes. So stopovers are not for everybody. And sometimes it might just pay for your own peace of mind to spend a little bit extra money and fly direct. Right. It, one of the things that I've been looking at recently is um, the benefits that you get from some of the credit cards that are out there. So um, it happens to be that uh, the credit card that I used to purchase this flight was, uh, was an American Express card. And um, I'm a big I'm a big fan, and they do have uh, some benefits or or insurance that actually allows you to um, recoup some costs if your stopover or rather your your flight delay is so long that something happens to you or your family. I'm not sure if that's something you have to pay extra for. I'm not sure if it's built in. It might differ based on what card you have, but I think some of the uh, more premium cards um, that are issued by American Express, by Chase, and probably a couple others um, have some really great travel benefits that are built in to protect you, to help you, to you know reimburse you. I had my son's stroller and one of our um, pieces of luggage were damaged oh, uh, when we came home. So I'm able to because they were checked luggage. It was part. It's it's actually covered under some of my um, benefits under the specific type of Amex card that I have. So um, that's something that you should look into. And and I've started to write a bit about it on my site, and I will continue to write about those types of things um, if you're interested. 
It's always interesting. Yeah. I mean, these you know, you're traveling. It's, it, there are people who don't travel that often. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who don't go on planes that often. And one thing that I have found um, in my recent travels is it's very, very irritating to have to, you know, conform to a certain weight and a certain size in your travel luggage. Because it happened to me even on El Al when I flew last, they wanted to take away my carry-on bag. And I was like, I am entitled to bring this on the plane. And the ride is 12 hours. I am bringing my bag. And, you know, after a whole discussion with the flight attendant, she, she let it go. But um, it's I, fi- I have found that incredibly challenging and restricting to conform to, to the weight and size of the bags you're allowed to bring. Shoes weigh a lot. Uh, <laughs> they just do. Uh, I'm I'm glad that my wife and I had separate luggage in that there re- you go. In, in that regard. Um, but I, I think that there there are certain things that we as consumers we we don't we can't really change. Um, right. Either the industry as a whole will change, and there's nothing I think uh, any particular can't airline fight can the do. system on this one. Is what you're saying? It's hard um, unless you're innovating something, you're creating something that's able to create some sort of loophole around it. And I'm not I have nothing in specific that I'm thinking about. But unless we're able to invent something to ease the situation, it will remain the status quo until, you know, either laws change right. or something changes. I don't know. Right. Uh, we've just got a little bit of time left. Um, I happen to have also noticed when I was browsing your site, you talk about economy plus seating on LL. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> this is like just a faux pas. Um, I mean, there's a lot of faux pas coming out of LL, unfortunately. Um, because I think that there's, they have so much opportunity to do like good marketing. I'm a marketing guy. And when I see things like this, it, it, it gets a little irritating. Um, but honoring your ticket was, was very good. A very good marketing. Yes. I uh, think that, that PR move they, by they did your not, your $350 ticket. Uh, there's a, there was a, there was a misconception with, um, uh, with what happened over the summer with the, the cheap airfares. They did not have to honor those cheap tickets. Right. Um, because they were going to take a big cut right. um, or loss. Uh, but the amount of PR that they got out of it when they decided to accept ex- accept it and allow people to take advantage of it, I think was huge. Um, and then they did something very smart. And then they started contacting all the people and saying, hey, for an extra $75 a leg per ticket, so it's really an extra $150 if you want to go round trip, you can fly direct on LL, which right. in the scheme of things... You're upgrading from three hundred fifty dollars to five hundred, which is still dirt cheap to right. fly to Israel right. direct. Right. Um, that you know that was great, and then the El Al was able to recoup costs um, by doing that because instead of you flying American or Swiss or British Airways, you're now flying El Al. Right. So El Al doesn't have to pay the other airlines; they're able to do it on their own. Now with this economy plus, yeah. So we should direct people to your to your blog post because we just have. So, so little time left, so just give us a quick Really peek. quickly, economy, economy Plus is supposed to be basically a improvement on your regular economy seats. So more legroom, some goodie, goodie bag or basket that they give you, footrest, etc. Um, even if you were to get all of this, um, and from the couple people that I was told um, have taken advantage of it, they said it's kind of silly and pointless, but you can't actually book it. It's just I tried. I went to LL's website. There's no option for it. There's zero option. The one mention of it on their site takes you to a YouTube clip. Wow. It doesn't. There's no way to book it. I then went to sites like Kayak.com or Expedia. It's just not available. 
you, you just can't even book this option and it and you can't even book it. They're wow. investing all that energy, and that's that's just frustrating. So let's invite our listeners to comment on the Economy Plus, and if you know anything more about it or you can offer any insight, you can email me at randy at nachamsegel.com, R-A-N-D-I at nachamsegel.com, and do check out yeahthatskosher.com um, for more of Donnie Klein's insights. Donnie, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. On something to talk about right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Let's give them something. 